you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Now this is what you shall do to them, to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour, You shall put them in one basket, and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod, and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil, and pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons, and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons, with sashes, and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Sit on a hill. It is so good to be with you in person. Uh, again, what a crazy time we live in, huh? Uh, but it is great to, to see you and be with you here again in person. Uh, huge shout out to you if you are joining us from home, from your lounge room. Uh, thanks so much for uh, getting out of bed, jumping on the couch and joining with us this morning. Uh, as Lily said, my name is Neil. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Sit on a Hill. Uh, and as we dive uh, into this word this morning, uh, I'd love for you to join with me in prayer. Let's pray, huh? <coughs> Gracious Father, we we thank you and we praise you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for revealing your glory and your beauty to us through it. I pray that that you would just be so kind as to to give us eyes to see and to give us ears to hear and tongues to taste your beauty and your glory. Lord, just... Uh, would you be so kind as to uh, to be working in our hearts 
and our minds now as we come before you. And I pray that uh, the, the words that I have to say would just be so in tune with your Holy Spirit, uh, that they would be well-pleasing in your sight. And we pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, uh, as I was preparing this week, I was reminded of uh, that, that classic scene from the original Lord of the Rings movie, and it's, it's that moment when all the good guys, so it's like Gandalf and Frodo and Aragorn and Legolas, they're all, they're all kind of gathered around, and it's a, a scene called uh, the Council of Elrond, uh, and it's that time where they've got the, uh, the ring kind of on that table that's kind of in the, the center of them all, and they're all, they're all kind of talking about trying to figure out what it is they need to do with this ring and, and what they need to do to destroy it, because they, they realize and know how kind of powerful and potentially evil uh, it is. Uh, and so there's that moment where, where Gimli, where he's that, the, the, the hairy dwarf with the big beard, he kind of goes all in. He's like, we have to destroy it now. And so he grabs his battle axe. and uh, But, you know, the, the ring's so powerful that it just kind of blows him back and the, the battle axe gets, gets, you know, destroyed into pieces. And, and so Elrond, who's uh, Hugo Weaving, he's the elven guy, he starts, you know, explaining. Like, the, the, the ring, can't, it can't be destroyed, uh, the ring was made in the fires of Mount Doom, uh, and only there can it be unmade. Uh, and so he's saying, you know, it must be taken deep into the fires of Mordor and cast back into that fiery chasm from whence it came. Uh, and then there's that, that classic line from, from Bohemia, which we, we see all the time, uh, where he says that, uh, that one does not simply walk into Mordor. Uh, and that, of course, has inspired a, a whole bunch of different memes about things that one not, does not simply do, uh, like one does not simply resist or say no to food samples, free food samples. Uh, one of my favorites is, uh, is one does not simply resist bacon. Uh, another one that's time, kind of timely for us right now is that uh, one does not simply come out of lockdown. Uh, that's one of the most difficult things that we can do. Uh, and if you're, not, if you're kind of not really sure what memes are or what they're all about, uh, then I've got this one for you. Uh, one does not simply explain memes. Uh, but now the reason that I was kind of reminded uh, of, of that line was because uh, last week we were looking at the tabernacle and how the purpose of the tabernacle was for it to be a, a tent sort of for God so that his very presence could dwell among his people. And this is what this kind of whole story of the Exodus has been leading to, that it, that it wasn't really just or merely just a story about God's people being set free, but that he, he set them free in order that they might know him for who he truly is and that he might dwell with his people. And so we see that God is present with them and he's present with us. He is tabernacled amongst us. But how is it do we actually, that we actually get into his presence? Because if we, if we think about who God is and how he has been revealing himself throughout the dex, Exodus, well, he, we know that he, he reveals himself as Yahweh, as the great I am, or I am who I am, which, which tells us that, that God is, is just completely independent from anything else in all of creation. That he's not defined by anything. Uh, he's not dependent on anything. He doesn't need anyone or anything he, he's not obligated to anyone. 
He, he doesn't owe anyone anything, and, and there's nothing that can leverage him. And we see that he is over all things, that there is nothing that can stand against him. And, and we saw that with, with Pharaoh and the plagues and his army and the Pharaoh's gods. And then the Bible, just on repeat, tells us that God is, is completely holy. And it describes his holiness as a, as a consuming fire that just burns so hot and so bright that, that anything that comes into his presence that isn't holy is just utterly consumed. And so, so this is the problem that we have, isn't it? That there is, there is God's holiness and our sinfulness. And so the, the idea that, that God would, would dwell amongst us is actually a terrifying idea. And so, so I need, we, we need the presence of God in our lives. Yet, yet how, do we actually, how do we actually get that without being utterly destroyed? Uh, see, one, one does not simply walk into the presence of God. Well, this is what is being addressed uh, in our passage today. And so we'll be covering off chapters 28 uh, and 29 in Exodus. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, I'd love you to have that open with you. Uh, chapter 28 here, that describes uh, the garments that the priests are to wear. And then into chapter 29, we'll be talking about the consecration of the priests. And, and the big idea of what we see here is that what we need is, is someone who can lead us, someone to lead us into the presence of God. And so the first thing that we're going to uh, look at, consider this morning, is uh, the ideal high priest. Uh, read with me. Uh, we're reading chapter 28, verses 1 to 5. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful, whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Okay, so the, the, the rest of this chapter just kind of unpacks for us just in, in detail uh, what these garments are. So what they, what they look like, what the materials that they made from. Uh, and so let's just kind of uh, chat through these. We'll, uh, there's going to be an image on the screen to kind of give you a bit of an idea of what it might have looked like. Uh, so we see that there's an ephod, which is kind of a bit like a, a poncho that, that kind of covers the torso but doesn't have any arms or, or doesn't cover the arms or legs. Uh, that is made of gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It says it's all skillfully worked and has a skillfully woven kind of matching band or belt. Uh, and on that there's two shoulder pieces uh, that are attached to that uh, with two onyx stones set in gold, and on them are engraved the names of the sons of Israel. 
Uh, and then hanging from that with, with uh, gold cord is the breastpiece of judgment. Uh, that too is made of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn with fine twined linen. It has four rows of different colored stones and they're all set in gold. Uh, and each one of them has the names of the sons of Israel engraved on them as well. Uh, it has twisted gold cords and, and a pocket. And in the pocket are the Urim and Thummim. Uh, now, as well as being hard to say, uh, we're not really entirely sure exactly what they are, but they're probably likely two stones uh, that the priests were using, and they, they use it to help determine what the Lord would, uh, was deciding or the Lord's will in any particular situation. Uh, and all of this uh, was worn over the blue, uh, a blue robe, and, and along the hem of the robe there was uh, pomegranates and bells, uh, and that was worn on top of a, uh, ch- a tunic or a coat. On his head was a turban, uh, and on that turban, on the, the forehead, was a gold plate, and engraved on that gold plate was holy to the Lord. And now, what's interesting, and what we see about this is the, the order of the chapters, because all this detail about uh, the garments for the priests is given before the consecration that comes in the next chapter. And so it's not, you need to consecrate the priests and here's the garments that they'll need for that. You know, like you, you, you do your university degree and then at the end you, you have your ceremony and here's your robe that you get to wear for that. No, no, it's here are the garments, the garments and now let's consecrate the priests. Because the, the garments are, are not merely just a, a uniform for the priests to wear, But the garments in and of themselves are a picture of the ideal high priest. They don't express what Aaron is in and of himself, but what he represented. And what he was meant to be, even if the human reality of that was so tragically different. And so here's a few things that the garments tell us about what this ideal high priest is like. First thing we see is that the ideal high priest was a heavenly man. Uh, And so if you take notice, you'll you'll see that there are many parallels between these garments and the tabernacle itself. So the the colors of of gold and blue and purple and scarlet, and the materials of of gold and fine twined linen and and yarn, The, the, the skill with which it was supposed to be made. Uh, it was probably quite likely that the same people who, who made and designed all the fabric for the tabernacle made these as well. And so these garments show us that this person belonged in the tabernacle. They belonged in the very presence of God. And so this ideal high priest is, is a man who is dressed in and walks in all the beauty and the glory of God himself. It's the first thing we see. Second is we see that the ideal high priest represents his people before the Lord. And as, so as we've seen, we, the, the names of the sons of Israel were engraved twice on, on his shoulders, on the stones there, and also on the breastpiece of judgment. And it says that uh, he was bearing on his heart the judgment of the people before the Lord. 
And so as he comes into the Holy of Holies, he, he comes not, not representing himself, but the people. And think about you know, how heavy this whole thing might have been, all the fabric there and all the, the stones on it. And so it's kind of as if he's, he's bearing the weight of the burdens of the sins of the people on his shoulders and on his heart. And he represents them and is responsible for, for securing their uh, entrance into the Lord's presence. The third thing we see is that the ideal high priest is the Holy One. So notice here that he's, he's not given any words to say. Uh, there's no uh, mantras or incantations that need to be chanting uh, on his way or anything like that. But what he does is he, he, to enter into the, the presence of God by the character of the words that are expressed on his forehead. It's kind of like a, a silent proclamation where it says, holy to the Lord, or, or holiness to Yahweh. That's what we see in verse 36. And, and so as he, as he bears the names of the sinful people on his, on his shoulders and on his heart, and then on his forehead, it's, it's like it's engraved into his forehead, is the, the reminder and the proclamation that the, the Lord is holy, and it's holiness that he requires. And so it's in that character that Aaron enters and is accepted, even though Aaron himself could never attain that ideal. And so the garments, they they give us this picture of the ideal high priest. He's someone who is, is heavenly man. He's the man of heaven who is holy in and of himself, and he bears the burdens of his people on his heart, and on his shoulders as he comes into the presence of God. But even though the, these garments are to represent that ideal, I mean, we, we, you still need to put someone in them, right? Someone, someone needs to still put these clothes on. And so that takes us to chapter 29, which, which is where it explains just how ordinary, sinful people like Aaron can still wear these garments and, and come before the Lord and not be utterly destroyed. Uh, so that's what we see next. We see how, how sinners can be priests. Uh, so turn with me to chapter 29. Uh, because if you think about it, uh, Aaron, like he's, I mean, he's far from uh, good. He, he's just as ordinary, as bad as the rest of us. I mean, in a few chapters' time, which we'll be seeing next week, uh, is when we see the, the whole kind of golden calf incident. And so you'd be thinking that, you know, after all they've been through, you know, the way they've seen God set them free from slavery, the way that he's led them through the desert and through their escape, uh, the way that he has uh, given them his law, which describes and outlines what they need to do, that they need to worship him alone and, and not make idols. But then how quickly do they just fall back into worshiping idols? And who is it that, that leads them in that whole thing? Well, it's Aaron. And so Aaron is, is the priest who's supposed to reach this ideal, but he can't because he's just as sinful as the rest of us. And so for ordinary sinful people to enter the priestly office, they, they need to be consecrated, which means they, they need to be set apart and made holy for that purpose. So read with me, uh, 29 chapter, uh, verse 1. 
It says, now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat and flour. You shall put them in, a, in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull with two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head, put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus shall, thus shall you ordain Aaron and his sons. And so we see here that there's kind of four main parts or elements to their consecration. Right, so the first thing is that they are washed, which is like a, a full scrub down. We see that in verse 4. And then uh, verses 5 to 6 kind of start describing how they are robed and they put the, the garments on. And, and then after that, they are anointed with oil. And the rest of the chapter begins to outline the, the sacrifices that need to be made, which include uh, sin offerings for, for purification and to atone for sin which was to be done through the, the death and the blood of the bull and one of the rams. And then the other ram was there to be sacrificed as part of the ordination process for the priests. And then this whole consecration ceremony lasts for seven days. Uh, if we keep moving our way through the chapter, uh, towards the end there, 38 to 42, it, it, that starts to outline what would be just the, the daily ongoing sacrifices for the people that the priests had to make. And that included sacrificing one lamb uh, every morning and every evening to atone for sin. Uh, and then the chapter ends like this. If we go to verse uh, 45, it says, uh, after explaining all that, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be, I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them, I and the Lord their God. And so they, 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 they put the garments on that, that represent the ideal high priest. And, and this person is to, to represent and bear the names of the people and their sins on their shoulders and on their hearts, all the while having the, the holiness of the Lord front and center on their forehead, and as they do that, they, they atone for the sins of the people through the, the continual shedding of blood. And all this is done in order that the holy God can dwell with his people that he loves and not utterly consume them. Okay, so, so what does this actually mean for us? Because I don't know if you've noticed, uh, we're not wearing these garments anymore. Right? I mean, like, you know, Nick's not getting up here. He's got the turban and the breastplate. Uh, that, that room out the back, right, that's not the Holy of Holies. Right? It's the creche. There's uh, lots of dribble and hopefully no blood. Right? No sacrifices going on out there. Maybe it's a few toys, uh, but that's about it. 
And we know that, well, God hasn't changed, right? It's not, you know, this is angry God of the Old Testament that required sacrifice, and now we have hippie Jesus. No, no, he, they, God hasn't changed, and we haven't changed either. Like, we're just as sinful and rebellious. And, and so this is the thing, that we, we still need a high priest to mediate for us in order to enter into the presence of God. So we, we still simply can't just walk into God's presence. God is, is still just as holy and we are still just as sinful. But, but this is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That, that Jesus would be our high priest. That he has become for us that ideal high priest. And so that's the, the next thing that we're going to consider is Jesus as the ideal high priest. I'd love for you to, to flip over to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're going to hang out there for the rest of our time. Uh, and one of the, the main things that we see in Hebrews is that it's telling us about how, how Jesus is the better high priest than all the other priests that came before because it tells us, uh, as we've seen, that the tabernacle and the temple and the priests and the sacrificial system, all of that was just a shadow. It was a copy of the reality that is to come. And, and so all of this, all of this, it was not an end in itself, but it was pointing to something greater. I mean, it even says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so, so all that sacrifice, all that blood couldn't actually do what needed to be done, and that was to take away sin. It, it couldn't truly atone for sin. It couldn't truly provide forgiveness. All it was was, was a, like a placeholder or a lorem ipsum for those designers out there. But what it did do is it provided a, a constant reminder to the people about how deadly serious their sin was and how prone to rebellion they were. And that's the same for us. Because, because with, without that, Jesus, Jesus actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us. I mean, Jesus' perfect life for you in your place it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus' sacrificial death for you in your place, I mean, you know, maybe that sounds nice, it's nice that he might do that for me, but I don't really know why, and, and so what's the point of it? See, see, Jesus only makes sense if you understand just how desperate your situation is before a holy God. It only makes sense if you actually understand what Jesus is fulfilling. And so what is it that Jesus is fulfilling? Well, we're going to read from uh, chapter 9 in Hebrews, verse 11. It says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more 
will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And, and so Jesus comes along, but, and, and he doesn't put on these garments, does he? And why is that? Well, it's because he, in and of himself, is the fullness of all the garment of all of what the garments represented. That he is the heavenly man because he himself came from heaven. That he carried the burden of the sins of his people on his heart and on his shoulders. That that he in himself is holy to God. And so we see that in Jesus, that he is both the ideal and perfect high priest. And at the very same time, he is also the perfect sacrifice. And so because of that, that he entered in for us on our behalf with, with our names on his heart and our sin on his shoulders, not into a, a physical tabernacle, but into the heavenly tent before the very presence of God. And in doing that, he, he secures for us this eternal redemption. It says here, that his blood can purify our conscience. I mean, who else here needs to have a purified conscience? Anyone? I mean, a, a conscience that is, that is free from guilt and sin and shame and failure. I mean, how many of your burdens would be lifted and how much more, more freedom and joy would you have if your, if your conscience could be purified? This is what there is for us in Christ Jesus. It's not, not trying to atone for yourself or, or trying to make up for it yourself, but it's in Jesus. So let's keep reading because uh, throughout the book of Hebrews... Uh, he keeps banging this drum about how Christ fulfills this for us. There's a kind of compare and contrast going on throughout the whole thing, showing us how Jesus is the better everything. So let's go to uh, chapter 10, verses 11. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Okay, so why does it say that, that Jesus sat down? It's because it was, there was nothing left to do. It tells us that the, the priests were there every day, standing, making sacrifices for sin, because even though the atonement was needed that they couldn't go a day without sinning and therefore needing more sacrifice. I mean, our rebellion is just so entrenched that they couldn't even get out of the tabernacle before needing to make another sacrifice. But when, when Christ comes, so perfect was his sacrifice that, that once it was done, there was, there was nothing left to do. And so, so he sits down. There's, there's, there's no more sacrifices to make. And so the uh, altar just gets shut down for good. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was doing a big uh, clean-out in my shed, uh, and I came across kind of uh, boxes and racks of my old CDs. Uh, and so I was uh, starting to reminisce about how good music was 
back in the 90s, uh, remembering that, you know, time if you, if you got a CD, that if you had a scratch on it or anything like that, it kind of just made it useless because it would skip or jump or, or not play. And so you always made sure you had to look after your, your CDs. And, and as I was looking through all my music, it kind of occurred to me that, that I don't think I can even, I don't have anything in my house to even play these things anymore. I don't have a CD player in my car. I mean, maybe in our kind of 15-year-old car that still has a, a CD player, I could kind of play it in there. But, but apart from that, I, I can't listen to any of this music anymore. And even if I did have a CD player, I mean, why would I bother? I've got Spotify. You know, there is there's one app to rule them all. And so what that means is that, that basically all, all of the music that I have in all those boxes and in those racks, plus all of the rest of the music that exists in the rest of the world, uh, is available for me you know, on my phone, on my computer, or wherever I might be. And so all those CDs, well, they, they served their purpose for a time, but, but now they're obsolete because something better has come along. And so, so why would I go back to that? And so this is what Jesus does. He, he, he turns up on the scene, and so perfect was his sacrifice that it, that it makes the sacrificial system just redundant and obsolete. And, and it's the perfection of his sacrifice that gets applied to us. I read in verse 14. It says, For a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So notice that, that this isn't future. That it's not saying that he will perfect, although that is true too. Not saying it's past, that he has perfected, that it happened on the cross. And so think with me. How, how much of your sin was in the future at the cross? Right, all of it was. Which means that all of your sin past, present, and future, all of that has already been perfectly atoned for by His blood. And that doesn't mean that you're perfect now, but what it means is that Christ's perfection has been purchased and applied to you. And then because of that, he goes on, verse 17, he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I mean, how good is that? You know, God, God's not there with a, you know, with a list of all your sins that he's kind of, you know, just constantly glancing his eyes over, bringing him back to his memory. No, no, he, he doesn't remember them anymore. He doesn't hold them against you. And it says, verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And then, you know, pretty much without, without skipping a beat, he goes on to verse 9 where it starts explaining what this actually means for us. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So although 
one does not simply walk into the presence of God. We can. And we can do so with confidence because it is Jesus who is our high priest and it's by his blood that we are made holy. And that's why the the Bible goes on it and it tells us that we too are a royal priesthood because in Christ, like those priests, that that we too have been washed and purified, that, that we too have been clothed in garments of Christ's righteousness, that we too have been anointed to serve the Lord. And some of you, and some of you need to know that this morning. That, that despite your sin, despite your guilt, despite your shame, that God so loves you and so desires to be present with you that he would make a way for that to be possible. Perhaps there's, there's sin and there's there's guilt and there's shame that has, been, that has been holding you back from just coming to God for a long time. And maybe you've tried to just kind of ignore that or bury that. And maybe because of that, you've kind of got this kind of half-hearted faith because perhaps if you were kind of honest for a moment, you're, you're actually scared of what it might mean for you to, to bring that out into the open and bring that before the Lord. But that's, that's actually exactly what you need to do. And that's actually what you, exactly what you can do because Jesus is your great high priest. And so that if, if you have repented of your sin, if you turn from your sin and you turn to him, then he bears your name on his heart. He has borne your sin on his shoulders. By his blood, you've been forgiven. It's his blood that purifies your conscience. He remembers your deeds no more. He, he clothes you in his righteousness. And so because of that, you can go to him now and you can go to him with confidence that he will accept you. Perhaps for some of you, though, it's, it's not confidence you need to come to God, but it's, it's the conviction that you actually need to. And it's not your, your sense of sin or unworthiness that is holding you back, but maybe there's just a, an underlying kind of apathy about your sin that has just, just numbed you to the things of God. Perhaps you're, you're toying with sin. Maybe you're, there's sin that you're indulging in. Or just the, the general kind of disposition of your heart that there there's, there's just little love or, or real affection for Jesus. And that if you're really honest for just a moment, maybe that you know that you're not really living for Jesus in the way that he requires you to. And so maybe you come on a Sunday and there's no real sense of awe or worship in your heart. And then through the week, as you go about your life, there's there's no real sense of awe or worship in your heart or in your mind. And maybe you're just kind of playing a bit of a religious game. And you've actually missed how desperately it is that you need this. But I mean, what what else do you need? What else are you looking for? What what else are you living for? 
What, the, that the God of the universe would, would come down and, and do all of this? So, so what, you can, you can build your own little kingdom and just keep on living for yourself? Perhaps if, if that's you, then, then I can't help think that there might be just a, a, a perpetual kind of restlessness in your heart because you're not really dealing with the reality of living your life before the presence of God. This is the way that we, we find our rest from this restlessness, that it's through Jesus and through His blood that brings us into the presence of God. Would you pray with me? Gracious fathers, what an incredible and amazing thing it is that you would dwell with your people and that we could dwell with you and that you were so determined to do that that you would send your son Jesus to be for us what we could not be for ourselves. That we worship and praise you for you alone are holy. Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to see your holiness for what it truly is? That we might see more clearly our own sinfulness and just how desperately it is that we need you and your forgiveness. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus, that you would be our great high priest for bearing our names on your heart, for bearing the burden of our sin, for being for us that sacrifice. It's by your blood and it's your blood alone that washes away our sin. It's your blood that cleanses our conscience, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and that makes us right with you and whole again. Lord, may we know that more fully today. Pray these things in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.